are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to have you joining us for our Monday show. Unfortunately, it's a second straight misery Monday here on the podcast, but glad to have you tuning in as your go-to Seahawks podcast. I'm going to be breaking down everything that went wrong as Seattle unraveled at the seams in a 30-17 loss to Minnesota yesterday. Plus, I'll answer your mailbag questions, so let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. Through the first three games of the 2021 regular season, this year has been all about trends for the Seahawks. Some of them been good, some not good at all. Looking at the good side of things, Russell Wilson, the offense, they have come out red hot in all three games to this point. They have built double-digit leads against the Colts, Titans, and yesterday against the Vikings. They were up 17-7 to midway through the second quarter, and it looked like they had the home team on their heels. But they've been equally inept after halftime. They have scored zero points in the third quarter so far in three games, and yesterday... Those second-half blues continued into the fourth quarter. They scored no points in the final quarter, which brings me to the pattern that is most troubling, and unfortunately, it's a familiar one. The Seahawks cannot stop anyone right now, and that's been a big part of the reason why the offense is not producing in the second half. The football has hardly been in Russell Wilson's hands. They haven't had opportunities in the third and fourth quarter to be able to sustain drives because the defense has been out there for eight, nine, ten-minute drives and giving up points. Just looking back at the last two games, the Seahawks have given up over 900 yards of total offense and 60 points. They're dead last in the league in yards allowed. We're looking at 440 yards per game right now given up by the Seahawks defense. The pass rush has been near non-existent the last two weeks after a great opener in Indianapolis. They are one of just four teams without an interception. They have forced a single turnover that they have been able to recover. They've surrendered the third most rushing yards and the fifth most passing yards in the NFL. That is not a set of lists that you want to be in the top five in. And the Seahawks are in the top five in both. They're also tied for 26th in third down defense at 48%. A 48% conversion rate by opponents. That is not acceptable. Everything that ailed this Seahawks team the week before against the Titans when they lost their 30-16 to lead in the fourth quarter and ended up losing in overtime, all of those issues reared their ugly head again on Sunday. The same discipline-related issues that cropped up with run fits, defending screens, penalties, Ugo Amadi had a killer defensive holding penalty in the second quarter that really changed the momentum of this football game. The Vikings ended up scoring a touchdown later on that drive. They scored 14 unanswered points to close out the half, and it just seemed like that sucked the life out of this football team. They just didn't play well after that point. And then when you look at the non-penalties, Alexander Madison, who was the backup playing in place of an injured Dalvin Cook, rushed for 112 yards, and had 59 receiving yards. Kirk Cousins diced up Seattle's secondary. He was like a hot knife going through butter. It was so easy for him. 323 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, completed 30 out of 38 passes. He was comfortable in the pocket most of the afternoon. 
Justin Jefferson, the outside, went off against Trey Flowers and DJ Reed with over 100 yards and a couple touchdowns. This is a Charmin soft secondary that's giving up a ridiculous amount of cushion each play. Pete Carroll today was trying to downplay that a little bit, but it's obvious when you watch these corners on film right now, they are giving up so much cushion. It's extremely easy for these receivers to get open, especially when you're talking about big-time talents like Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, who also scored a touchdown in this game. After the game, Reed and Flowers both spoke about getting out-schemed and there being some questions about their own scheme being on the right page. And if you were watching the game closely, you could tell that there is some disconnect right now on the defensive side of the football. There were a number of times that you could see players agitated on the field, shouting at teammates, barking towards the sideline, having their palms up toward the sky like, what's going on? It just looked like they were lost. They were missed, missing their assignments. They were confused about what they were supposed to be doing out there. And the Vikings capitalized on that with a really well-executed game plan. And it didn't seem to matter what the Vikings did in this game. The Seahawks were not able to stop it. And that leads me to what we have coming up the next couple of weeks on Seattle's schedule. They play the 49ers on Sunday in San Francisco, that is going to be a really challenging game, especially given the fact the 49ers had a win against the Packers, slipped through their grasp, and Mason Crosby made a game-winning field goal as time expired. The 49ers thought they had that game in the bag with a late touchdown inside a minute to go, so they're going to be upset after not being able to finish off that game. And then only a few days later on Thursday night, the Seahawks host the Rams, who just annihilated the defending champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So you got two really talented teams in the NFC West in back-to-back games. If this Seahawks defense does not get much, much better in a hurry, they could be staring at a 1-4 start. There's no question about it. They, they could be in last place and several games out. And really, if they start 1-4, and four, you can forget winning this division. I mean, the Arizona Cardinals are 3-0 right now. The Rams are 3-0. The 49ers are 2-1. It's the best division in football. The Seahawks cannot afford to continue to plunge down to the bottom of the standings here. The 1-4 start would be insurmountable. Maybe they could make the playoffs still if they were able to turn things around. But... They're not going to be defending their NFC West title. So plain and simple, the defense has got to be much better in all facets. Ken Norton Jr. has got to do a better job as the defensive play caller. Pete Carroll has to do a better job. This is still his defense, regardless of who the coordinator is. The players have to execute. The coaches have to make sure that the defense is not too complicated. Again, all the confusion that you saw on the field, maybe some of it was the fact that Andre Curtis, the passing game coordinator, was not there for the game, was dealing with some personal issues. He's supposed to be back this week. Maybe his absence played a big role in that, but regardless, the players have got to do a better job. The coaches have got to do a better job. This defense right now is on a historical pace for the wrong reasons. If that sounds familiar, well, they were in the same boat the entire first half last year. They have got to get this defense turned around quicker than they did in 2020, though, because Last year, they started 5-0 and despite the defensive struggles. They've already lost two of their first three games, and they cannot afford this defense to continue holding them back. they got to give Russell Wilson more opportunities to be able to make plays on offense, and that just hasn't been there the last couple of games for the Seahawks with their defense being stuck in the field, unable to get third-down stops, and even when they're giving up field goals, they're long, drawn-out drives. 
So a number of these issues have got to be corrected. Pete Carroll and company going back to the drawing board. Maybe they have that closed-door meeting that they had after the Bills game last year when they gave up 44 points, but something's got to happen because this defense right now can't stop anybody, and the chances of this team being able to make a splash in the NFC West, there really isn't a chance that they're going to be able to do that if the defense plays the way that it did yesterday in Minnesota. When I come back in the second quarter, I'm going to be tackling your questions in our Monday mailbag segment. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Bet Online is back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on to start another football season. And as always, Bet Online is your top spot for all the pro and college football action this season. They've got a new updated site and interface, more odds, props, and contests. BetOnline.ag continues to be the number one source for everything football. So make sure to head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. And don't forget to use the promo code NFL100. Whether it's football, basketball, boxing, or your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Hey Seahawk fans, if you do a lot of driving like I do, then you need to know about a fantastic new app called GetUpside. When you open an account on GetUpside, you can get 25 cents per gallon back every time you fill up at the pump. Over time, that kind of saving starts to really add up. Some people are making as much as two to $300 per month in cash back with GetUpside, which not only makes it easy to save, but also gives you multiple cash out options, whether it's direct payment to your bank account, PayPal, Amazon gift cards, and more available at any time. And now when you get an account and use our special promo code TOUCHDOWN, you can get a bonus $0.25 cents back per gallon on your first fill-up. That's up to $0.50 cents back per gallon, so don't pay full price of the pump anymore. Download the free GetUpside app, use our special promo code TOUCHDOWN when you sign up for your free account, and start saving every time your car or truck needs a fill-up. That's GetUpside, available in the iTunes App Store and on Google Play as well. And that promo code again is TOUCHDOWN. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Monday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith. It's time for our weekly mailbag segment. Tons of questions from you, the 12s. Of course, a lot of the questions revolving around that defense that I just talked about. So maybe a chance to get a little bit more in-depth on some of those struggles here as I tackle these questions. First one coming from Steak and Stocks tweets, with our second half of last season's defensive resurgence, can we pump the brakes on firing Ken Norton Jr., or is a change really necessary? So I talked about this early on last year. I thought there was a decent chance the Seahawks might make a midseason change with Ken Norton Jr. just because that defense was struggling so much. But ultimately, they decided to stick with him, and that's typically been Pete Carroll's M.O. He's not the type of coach that's going to make staff changes in the middle of the season like that. And honestly, if you look historically... 95% of the time when a team fires an offensive or defensive coordinator during the middle of a year, you don't really see that much of an improvement regardless of who replaces that person. So, I mean, who would Pete Carroll put there? Is he going to just become the defensive play caller himself? Are you going to put Andre Curtis as the new play caller? I mean, they'd have to bring somebody else that's already on their staff up. I just don't know that it really makes a difference right now. And Ken Norton Jr. showed last season that he can make the adjustments necessary for this defense to turn the corner. They've got to be able to execute too. So 
the Seahawks should have some confidence that they can right the ship here, but it is certainly not the ideal situation to come out of the gates this way defensively when they played so well in the second half last year and they got most of those key pieces back and you have Jamal Adams now in his second season with the team your pass rush is supposed to be better their linebacking group is really solid you would think this defense would be a lot better than they played the first three games so certainly there is some heat on Ken Norton Jr. this is a team that is expected to be a Super Bowl contender and they have not played anything like that at least the last two weeks of season opener they looked like what a lot of people thought they would, but maybe the Colts just aren't as good of a team as they were expected to be either. That's something to consider from that week one victory. I think Ken Norton Jr. is safe for now. If the Seahawks have a couple more games where they give 30 plus points up and over 400 yards, then maybe Pete Carroll will have no choice but to pull the plug there and make a change. But again, typically those type of moves don't really pay off during the middle of a season when you have somebody else take over as the play caller. Sports fan tweets, at this point, do you see there is a chance this team can still have the potential to turn things around, or do you see the glaring flaws as too much to overcome at this point? Oh, I absolutely think it's way too early to be hitting the panic button. I mean, Pete Carroll is 100% correct on that. There are 14 games left on the schedule. But at the same time, as I mentioned last quarter, you look at these next four games the Seahawks are going to be playing. The next, actually, the next five or six they've got on their schedule. And it's going to be critical for them to go 4-2 and two or 5-1 and one during that stretch if they really want to be back in the race to win the NFC West. And some of these flaws they have, especially the cornerback position, the way things are going on the outside right now against opposing passing games, if they are not able to get better play out of Flowers and Reed, and they are not confident in the other players they have on the roster being able to do a better job, that is the type of flaw in today's NFL, where teams are slinging the ball over the place. That's the type of flaw that can absolutely derail a football team. And the offensive line has been questionable at times. Uh, it's kind of been a recurring theme for the last decade for the Seahawks, but those areas certainly are areas of concern. But I think when you have Russell Wilson under center, you still got Pete Carroll as the coach, Bobby Wagner, Jamal Adams, Quandre Diggs, Carlos Dunlap. I mean, there's too much talent on this roster for them to continue playing the way they have the last two weeks. So I definitely think they have time to turn things around, but there's got to be a sense of urgency even after just three games. This this division's brutal. If they were playing in the NFC East, then maybe you feel a little more confident about things. But you are not playing in the NFC East. You're playing in the best division in football. So those flaws certainly are things that need to be cleaned up. And whether that means personnel changes, schematic changes, a mix of all the above, they're going to have to really do some soul searching to be able to right the ship here in quick order. If they're not able to do that, then they could be outside looking in playoff race-wise before the calendar even flips to October. Elmer Mendez tweets, how much of the Seahawks' troubles on defense are schematic and how much of it is individual player performance? You know, I don't want to sound like I'm being cliche here with my response here, but based on what I've seen on film, I think it's fair to say this is truly an example of a 50-50 issue. I think the schematics definitely are a problem. Last year, after that Bills game, it was apparent that players were having issues with some of the complexities of this defensive scheme and they simplified things and the defense played much better in the second half. It feels like they are in a similar position right now. Even Pete Carroll said that today, that he sees some similarities with their defensive struggles they're having right now to those first eight games a year ago. 
that might be a big part of it, especially based on what Reed and Flowers said after the game, specifically about having some questions about the scheme and, and what they're supposed to do against certain route concepts. At the same time, you look at just the individual players they have on defense, and there are exceptions to this. I think Bobby Wagner is still playing outstanding football. I thought Daryl Taylor played well in this football game in Minnesota, did some nice things rushing off the edge. Alton Robinson continues to play well. I think Quandre Diggs has had his moments, but it feels like a lot of the players on defense right now, they're just not executing the way they are expected to. So I think performance definitely plays a part in this as well. Everybody deserves a brunt of the blame. So this truly looks to me like it's one of those 50-50 propositions. The coach has got to do a better job with the scheme. I think getting more basic, simplifying things so guys play faster or more sure of themselves is certainly going to be important moving forward. But The players have to be accountable for the way they're playing as well. Gavin tweets, has a healthy Jamal Adams presence helped our defense over the first three weeks? So looking at Adams and how he's played the first couple games here, I wrote an article about this a week ago. The Seahawks need more from number 33. I don't know how much of that really is on him though. If we want to talk about a player that right now maybe is being hindered the most by schematics, then I think you could make a pretty good argument for Jamal Adams. He only blitzed twice in Minnesota. In fact, watching the game, I didn't remember him blitzing that many times. They are not sending him after the quarterback, and they did it a little bit more the first two games, but he hasn't had any success yet to this point getting after the quarterback, but he only had two shots yesterday in Minnesota. And I understand that the Seahawks don't want to bring extra pressure more than they have to, and they thought they would be able to get more quarterback pressure with their front four this season. With the depth they had returning, the talent on that defensive line, the last two weeks, though, that has not been the case, and you don't want to make it easier on an opponent by bringing that fifth defender, but we know how effective Jamal Adams is as a blitzer and his ability to just rock it into the backfield and get after quarterbacks. It feels like they're kind of tying his one of his arms behind his back right now in terms of not playing to his biggest strengths. And I don't want to sit here and say that first and foremost, he's a pass rushing safety because I don't necessarily think that that's the case, but it really is a critical part of his game. And that's what makes him so unique. You'd like to see the Seahawks use that a little bit more. He's been making tackles, not a great game for him yesterday in coverage necessarily, but I don't think that he's been near as big of a problem in that regard as what the corners have been to this point. I think he's been fine, but you're not paying him to be a fine defender. You are paying him to be an elite all-pro caliber defender, and he has not been making those kind of plays. So I think some of that falls in the coaching staff. In fact, I would say a lot of that falls in the coaching staff with how they're trying to use him, but he's also got to be able to make those big-time plays. And at this point, he hasn't had those flash plays that really impact games through the first three weeks. JB tweets, do you think a trade for a corner is coming? I don't, at least not right now. And obviously Carolina was able to go out and make the trade today with Jacksonville to bring in CJ Henderson. He is a player that I thought maybe the Seahawks might take a look at because it became very clear the Jaguars were going to deal him. But now that he's off the board and from everything I've been told, Richard Sherman, the Seahawks are not interested in bringing him back. Maybe they had discussions early in the offseason, but They are not one of the teams that has seriously been approaching him about signing him. So, you know, maybe that ends up happening down the road, but from what I've gathered, that's not going to happen. And I don't see any other trades this early in the season. Everybody still considers themselves 
to be in the playoff hunt. It's only been three games. Even if you're 0-3, it's still very early in the year. You're going to have a hard time finding good value trading for players. Now, if we get a few weeks down the road here and a team like New England is falling down the standings in the AFC East, then maybe you could get Stephon Gilmore from them when he comes off of the non-injury, uh, non-football injury list. He's eligible after week six. If they are able to make a trade then, that's a possibility, I suppose. I still think that's a long shot. But my point is, I don't think in week four that you're going to see too many teams that are shopping cornerbacks and dangling. I was surprised that C.J. Henderson was moved, even with all the rumors out there. I don't see any other big corner trades being available right now. If the Seahawks are able to get a few more wins and they still are having trouble at corner, we get closer to the trade deadline, then a deal absolutely could be made. Last question here from Seahawks HNL. If the Seahawks go 1-4 and four this upcoming stretch, is the Russell Wilson-Pete Carroll era over? So that would be implying that Seattle, over their next five games, that would be the 49ers, Rams, Steelers, Saints, and Jaguars. If they go 1-4 and four during that stretch, that would put them at a 2-6 and six record. That would make it very, very difficult for them to make the playoffs. Not impossible if they got hot in the second half, but it would make it very difficult. That's a huge hole to dig yourself. And I mentioned this before the season started. I think the Russell Wilson trade rumors, there was a lot of smoke. I don't necessarily know that there was fire like some media members made it look like, but I think there would be an there would be a massive forest fire if the Seahawks start two and six. I think Russell Wilson will be trying to force his way out after the season because he's going to be 33 in November. He wants to win games, and he's been upset about not going further in the postseason. If they don't even make the playoffs at all, and 2-6 and six is going to be really hard to get to the playoffs with that kind of a rough start, if they don't make the postseason, then I think that those rumors that we saw last offseason, that there's a really good chance those turn into actual action. And I could see number three trying to pull strings to really get traded this time around. So yeah, this stretch coming up is going to be very important for the Seahawks. They need to win games. They need to get back into the mix in the NFC West and for the playoffs. If they aren't able to do that, patience is going to wear thin. Number three has already made that clear. If they start off two and six and they're really struggling to win games, they don't make the playoffs. I think that there is a better chance than not that Russell Wilson is wearing another uniform next year. Not afraid to say it that way. I think that's the reality of this situation. Coming up in the third quarter, I'm going to quickly take a look at some takeaways from yesterday's loss in Minnesota. Not just going to be ripping the defense that was already discussed the first quarter. There were still plenty of positives in this game. I'll be combing through a number of those in the third quarter when I return. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without all of that hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called DirecTV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. You don't have to juggle remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion. 
Get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Looking to step up your workout game? When you talk to a Built Bar fan, they're definitely passionate about their favorites. I love them before I lift or go for a jog. There's a number of outstanding flavors. Raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel. There's something for everyone. My favorite flavor, peanut butter brownie. I could eat an entire box in one sitting, not afraid to admit it. If you haven't tried all the flavors, you can get a mixed box where you'll get two of each of the nine flavors. And most of the flavors have 17 grams protein, only 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, and only 4 grams of net carbs. So not just delicious, tasty flavors, but all of these Built Bars are healthy compared to other competitors on the market. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 50% off your first order. Use the promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. It's Misery Monday. Unfortunately, the Seahawks dropping a second straight game. Now, one and two, they're at the bottom of the NFC West division. And this is a game much like last week against the Titans, where in the first half, half, it really felt like the Seahawks were in command of this game. Chris Carson bowling for a 30-yard touchdown that was perfectly blocked. Damian Lewis with an excellent reach block against the defensive tackle. Dwayne Brown kicked out the defensive end. And DK Metcalf made a block on a corner to spring Carson. Goes 30 yards for the score. And it's 17-7 midway through the second quarter. It didn't look like Seattle's offense really could be stopped. And yet, just like the last two games... Once halftime came and the Seahawks returned for the third quarter, suddenly the offense just wasn't able to do anything. So really frustrating from a coaching staff standpoint, trying to put a finger on why we can't move the ball and score points in the second half when they have just been lighting opponents up in the first two quarters. I'm going to start with some positive from this game, though, because there certainly were some. As I mentioned, that touchdown by Chris Carson, he had almost 80 rushing yards in the first half. They were able to get that run game going. Got to start with DK Metcalf, though. Had kind of an interesting week last week. Reporters were asking him about what things had changed as far as how uh, defenders were covering him. And really, the big difference he's noticed is just more trash talking from opponents. And maybe he was letting that get to him a little bit. He responded as well as he could have from two somewhat pedestrian games by his standards to open up the season. Went for over 100 yards for the first time in 2021. Caught a touchdown in the opening drive. Really, the first drive, he was fantastic. Three catches. He had a catch in the first play of the game. Then he had a 27-yard gain where he made a really nice cut in open field to make safety Xavier Woods miss. Got down into the red zone. A couple plays later, Wilson finds him on a quick out. Reaches the football past the pylon. Touchdown. Metcalf looked like the all-pro that he was last year. Really gave the Vikings fits. Got a little bit of revenge against Patrick Peterson, who played him pretty well his first two seasons when he was with the Arizona Cardinals. Metcalf had some trouble going against him in those matchups, but he was able to get the last laugh in this rematch against Peterson, who's now in Minnesota. So it was nice to see Metcalf go out and have a really nice game, especially with Tyler Lockett kind of falling back to earth a little bit this week after two huge games. Metcalf picked up the slack, and he really was the star for the Seahawks on offense. 
And I thought the offensive line in the first half, at least, looked pretty solid. They were going into this game against Daniil Hunter, who had four sacks the first two games. This is a defensive line that's got a lot of talent. They were missing their starting right tackle, Brandon Shell. They were starting Jamarco Jones in this place. They ended up having to tra- uh, play undrafted rookie Jake Curran in this game, and he played a number of snaps. Mixed results for him in his first NFL action. I really thought the first half that they played pretty solid. There was some pressure, but not enough where it was really deterring Russell Wilson. He was able to play through it. Then the Vikings really turned it up a notch, and they were able to get a bunch of pressure in the second half. I had him down for 15 pressures on Russell Wilson, and a lot of those came after halftime. And I think that was one of the big things that really held this offense back in their limited opportunities in the second half. The line just wasn't able to maintain that play from the first half. The Vikings stepped up their game. They were able to get some pressure with blitzes. Uh, One of them in particular, Eric Kendricks, ended up beating Dwayne Brown inside. Looked like there was a communication issue based on Brown's reaction after the play happened. But Kendricks got to Russell Wilson in the fourth quarter. That was the second sack they'd had in the half. It's really a tale of two games for that offensive line without Brandon Shell having to rotate into a couple players at the right tackle position. Let's talk time of possession here real quick, because as I mentioned the first quarter, that's really been the biggest issue for Seattle's offense. They just haven't been able to get the football enough in the second half of games. The Tennessee game, they only had one possession in the third quarter, and the same thing happened yesterday. The Vikings went out and had a drive that lasted almost nine minutes to open the second half, got a field goal, and now it's 24-17. to Just a one-score game. The Seahawks are right there, but five plays later, less than three minutes o'clock being used, Michael Dixon's punting it back to the Vikings. They go on another long drive that extends into the fourth quarter. It's really becoming an issue. 22 minutes of clock chewed up by the Vikings in the second half. The Seahawks had that one possession with five plays in the third quarter, And then they really had one other drive in the fourth quarter where it really felt like the game was still maybe hanging in the balance a little bit. The Vikings were able to go tack on another couple field goals, and that felt like an insurmountable lead with the way the offense had played and the fact that the Seahawks' defense could not get third down stops. They could not get off the field. They're not going to be able to win many games with that formula. They're not converting on third down offensively enough, and they are giving up way too many third downs on defense, and that's leading to a huge discrepancy in time of possession. And Pete Carroll's always preached that throughout his time in Seattle that they want to win that time of possession battle. They want to have sustained drives. They have not shown that they can consistently do that, though, this year with Shane Waldron as the play caller. Some of that just been lack of opportunities, and some of it just been second half for whatever reason. They just aren't near as effective or efficient in both the run and the passing game. They just look like a different team out there after halftime. Maybe they got to switch up their halftime routine. Something has got to give. And in the secondary, I, I don't want to pile it on Trey Flowers because I will give him this. At least he was willing to be held accountable a little bit after the way he played yesterday. He was willing to take some shots, took, took some questions from media members, and didn't back down from it. And I'll give him credit for that. But he's had two really rough games. And this is a player that is in his fourth year. He has started almost 40 games now in his NFL career. And it just doesn't look like he has really made the progression the Seahawks wanted him to. He allowed seven receptions and seven targets yesterday. 
Kirk Cousins was picking on him throughout the afternoon, giving up huge cushion. Jefferson was beating him with hitches. He was beating him with dig routes going inside. You name it. Jefferson was dominating that matchup, and a lot of it had to do with that cushion that Trey Flowers was providing, and he did that against Tennessee the week before. Obviously, they're playing talented players. They don't want to get beat over the top, but if they're having to play with that much cushion as a result, right there, that's your big red flag. We don't trust our corners to be able to keep the the deep ball from happening, and so I just got to wonder, when is it going to be Sidney Jones time? Trey Flowers has had his moments in his first three-plus seasons with the Seahawks. There have been flashes where it's looked like he might finally be that starter the Seahawks hoped he was going to be. Two years ago, second year in the league, he had a stretch where he was out playing Shaquille Griffin. It looked like he was the best corner on the roster. But then he fell back to earth, battled penalty issues last year, lost his starting job going into the season. And this year, I think that he is he's really put himself in a position now where he's got a really good chance to lose that job again just because he has not been productive and he's really struggled in these games. It's it's certainly an area that opponents are recognizing that they can exploit and they are taking advantage of it. So what do you got to lose with Sidney Jones at this point? He has been here now long enough. He should know the system. He should be confident in his ability to go out in the field and play. Pete Carroll sounded yesterday like he's getting really close to being ready. Go see what number 23 can do. Your secondary, what do you get to lose? Your secondary is struggling as much as any team in the NFL. Maybe Jones can give him a small boost, and he's still just 25 years old. He's younger than Trey Flowers is, former second-round pick that looked like a first-rounder before he injured his Achilles in the pre-draft process. This is a big-time talent. Give him an opportunity. I think they got to do something to shake up the personnel with the cornerback group. The rest of their position groups, it just feels like they got to do a better job putting their players in a position to succeed, and they got to execute better. But I think a change-up at cornerback would make a lot of sense, and Sidney Jones taking over the right cornerback spot, I think that's the move that has to happen first. And one last positive here, wrapping up this game coverage. Really, this was the real silver lining because there's not much positive to talk about yesterday. You got to see Daryl Taylor with the strip sack, the one really good promising pass rush the Seahawks had in this game, the only time they threatened to get a turnover in this contest. DK Metcalf went off on offense. The tight ends did some nice things when they had their opportunities, but really the real silver lining getting out of this game without any serious injuries. Kerry Hyder did leave with a concussion, but they're hoping that maybe he has a chance to be able to get back for this week's upcoming game against the 49ers. Tyler Lockett went down in the fourth quarter and clutched his left knee. It got twisted awkwardly. All the players on the Seahawks sideline came out to the field. I thought for sure he had a severe injury. And then he managed to get up, walk back to the sideline, and on the next drive, he was back on the field. So they really dodged a bullet there. And Jordan Brooks, their second-year linebacker, had to be carted off, but it was just really bad cramps in both legs. I don't know that I'd ever seen a player carted off with cramps, but that's what happened there. So he was able to at least return to the sideline. I don't know if he actually played any more plays on defense, but both of those players look like they are going to be okay heading into week four. Losing either one of them for significant time would have been a major blow to the Seahawks and they're lucky both of them look like they're going to be good to go so that was the real silver lining in this game they exited without a lot of injuries the couple that looked like they might be bad ended up dodging bullets there those players looking like they're going to be healthy ready to go 
in week four. Betting on the NFL doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Follow the Locked on Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and the all-new Odyssey app. Coming up tomorrow on our Tuesday show, I will be rejoined by my co-host Rob Rang. The two of us for Throwback Tuesday will be looking back at the two matchups between the Seahawks and 49ers last season, and we'll be taking a close look at what's new with the 49ers, their additions, departures, some schematic information, their draft class, and much more. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.